Thanks everybody for coming out to another Live at the Grafton. Today we've got Rich Kruger, who has uh, his most recent CD is Life Ain't That Long, which has gotten a A from uh, noted uh, former New York Times uh, critic Robert Criscal. No Depression called it So Damn Good, maybe perfect mu music for our times. And this year he won the Grassy Hill Curlville New Folk Song Competition, which he is a finalist in last year as well. Looking forward to hearing some of your songs, Rich. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Great and to be here. Why don't you introduce uh, the musicians here with you and play, uh, if you could, two songs sure. for us. This is uh, on the uh, cajon. The, uh, the drum box is my friend Vince Edmonds. And on the eight-string fretless moonstone space-age bass is my buddy Russell Clark. They were both in a band with me back in the 90s called the Dysfunctionals, which, <laughs> which would be funny if it wasn't true. And, um, and, uh, and so they, Russell happened to be in town and we're tracking a new record called Now Then. And this is this title, the first title record song off it. It's also the song, that, one of the two songs that won at Kerrville this year. <coughs> and it's uh, about one of the places we've hung out before, Dan. Uh, the Gallery Cabaret. It's called Kenny's, or It's Always Christmas in This Bar. It's always Christmas in this bar. And it's always St. Pat's and also Halloween. Nothing here is ever thrown away. In here, art always has its say. Kenny always hangs a brand new work just about every 30 days. Look around, it's the 4th of July. It's always Christmas in this bar At the bar a regular Cruise on s'more He's just a xenophobic jerk The piano's always out of tune But just the keys that work The sound man drinks a night away The mix might lead you to say That you have entered hell But on hell's most festive holiday Oh, and it ain't only the piano that's been drinking I tip my hat to Kenny That is if I could only find my hat And there's a ring gold built of stars That hovers proudly o'er the bar Someone's playing that house guitar It's always Christmas in this bar Well, Johnny is back from his last bender He's mixing cocktails behind the bar got on his silver rings and he put on a broad brim smile he's got a brand new turquoise photo tie for every woman he's got a line there'll be one more bender but he won't return that time well outside on the corner the young and old share their papers their pipes and their pot some still smoke tobacco but weed says louder i'm yours to the cops Car through the front wall, right into the bar. Thank God the pizza oven lived, or some of us might just starve. There's a 
always a free Sunday meal. All you need to do is say a prayer and buy yourself a couple beers. I always try to tip the cook if I find he is still standing. And I'm proud to say that I ain't never thrown up after eating here. Well, you know, there may be somewhere on the earth a bar I'd find stranger. And the sound there, and some women are real glad Johnny's gone. But a stranger's just a stranger here for less than one half a beer. And the only fear we gotta fear is when last calls call. Well, it ain't only the piano that's been drinking. Tell me where else have you seen people juggle people with their feet? And Picasso and George Bernard Shaw hold court over Kenny's lovely bar. Play guitar, it's always Christmas in this bar. Twenty twenty North Oakley, everybody. Twenty twenty North Oakley in beautiful Bucktown. Two, it's an old song. Robbie Folks is going to track on it. He did track on it. It's kind of a, a take on an old folk song that uh, some of mine know. It's written by Gordon Lightfoot. Oh, that's what you get for loving me. This is kind of an updated version of it called Girls Go For Our Assholes. Let me start by saying I'm a liar. Can't say how much of this is true. But if it makes things any better, I'll swear by the copper in my tattoo. You watch me steal your heart Watch me drop it at my feet Watch me brush away your tears Then go watch me skipping down the street And you cry out you've been martyred We've all had brighter days You ask yourself Are we all like this? Go and ask me Will I change my way? Swimming 
They wrestle Jove between your thighs And there are those whose dreams ache To find all the blackest hard They know their love will uncorrupt it They make me laugh until I fart Did I tell you I love you? and wonder if it's true But if I can't be honest with myself, babe At least I still can lie to you And don't cry out you've been cheated The vulture is circling today And those who cry the loudest they've been I could have the vocal a little tiny bit louder since there's no monitor, just a little bit, and I won't overdo it. I tell you it's true, it's true. That's what they go for. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a lot of places. I mostly consider Chicago my home. I moved here when I was out to the suburbs when I was five. And uh I was born in Bedford-Stuyvesant in New York, though. Uh, my dad was a student at Pratt, and my mother was the teenage daughter of a, of a local party girl waitress. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how, was it, were you from a musical family? My mom sang. She always sang in choir. And, and there's actually an interesting history. It's a song that I never finished. Uh, but... My, I guess my, um, her father and his uncles, they all moved over to the States from Liverpool in uh, like 1916 or something like that. They came to Brooklyn, the whole family, including my grandfather, who was an infant at that time, um, hit my mother's father, and um, his sister, who ended up dying as a teenager of heart failure, probably rheumatic fever, and his uncles, who like had a singing group. They used to sing and, and entertain people in the backyards of Brooklyn and, and sang at the top of their lungs and stuff and, and played guitar and stuff. My mom sang a lot in church. She went to church a lot, basically to try to avoid her mother. Um, but, uh, and then uh, they got hitched and we lived in New York till I was like five and moved to Chicago. Was here until high school and then Divorce and remarriage sort of led to uh, somebody's beeping. Uh, led to um, uh, uh, moving out to Philadelphia, out to Philadelphia and living at. Uh, w went to high school in Philadelphia, public high school. 
and then moved back here for college and uh, and was here for 20 years at the University of Chicago and then left to go to UCLA in LA and then there was a little hop, skip, and jump through New Mexico, and then back here in 2010, back at the University of Chicago. And when did you start writing songs? I started writing songs right as I began going to medical school, really about 1980, actually just after I started, around 1985. Uh, I was looking for something, you know, and I loved songs, and just started, and, and the other part was I had friends, who had a comedy group on campus. Uh, they called themselves Cardiff Giant. And they had a show at Jimmy's, the local bar in, uh, in Hyde Park, um, every Wednesday, and then it became Thursdays, and then it became Wednesdays again. Uh, it was a cabaret, and they had an opening act, and I desperately wanted to open for these guys, because they were like really super funny, and it was wonderful people. But they were real snooty, you had to have original material. So I started writing songs. And I was like, I want to perform, I got to write songs. Okay, fine. And then at some point after that, I started being able to write songs. <laughs> and, uh, and then like 1987, uh, decided to venture to the north side to the open mics and see what it sounded like in front of other people and met my good friend Chris Farrell's here tonight who was the host of the open mic at Earl's Pub, which used to be somebody else's troubles on Lincoln Avenue. And, uh, and it just kind of went on from there, well, you know? Just to step back, I was, did being in med school, do you think it shaped the type of songs you're writing? You know, there's doctor writers, you know, think Chekhov or something like that. You it, know? Well, it, well like, the, I would say two, a couple things about that. One, on a serious note, it, it's, uh, being a musician, doctors, like lots of people, have hobbies and avocations. And doctors do that a lot. And mu music is probably one of the most common avocations for physicians. And it's also, and this is something my, the dean told me in medical school as I was leaving medical school, because I was starting to become serious as a musician, he said that... that uh, between, you know, when people who are both musicians and physicians, that's the hardest thing to choose between, is to what to pursue. Um, being very bourgeois, it was very easy for me to pick, <laughs> you know, because this is one of Chris Farrell's jokes, but I mean, I literally make hundreds, hundreds of dollars a year as a musician. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, and the other observation, which isn't mine, is from... Um, it's about William Carlos Williams, who is also a pediatrician in New Jersey and obviously a very great poet. And I saw a TV show about him, and they were interviewing his brother, who is also a pediatrician. I think, I think it was a pediatrician. He was definitely a physician. And said, there was asking, it's like, what is it's, it's unusual? It's a combination. And his brother said, no, because really what a doctor does is a, he will see some, a, a commonplace observation like a, the way a person holds their arm or their leg or sits in a chair and draw meaning from that and help making a diagnosis and to treat the patient, whereas a poet will take the same thing and use it to make it somehow transpersonal and, and larger. So this really, this uh, some, a lot of, the, at least the observation part is kind of a, a similar um, skill set, mm -hmm. I think. Um, 
The other thing that medical school is good for, especially before HIPAA laws, which was, <laughs> uh, was um, the, uh, the material you would get for songwriting, uh, which is, you know, uh, there's, there's a good example of that coming up, for example, uh, especially the third year uh, rotation in psychiatry. Boy, the material you'd get was excellent. It, that's just a total segue, because my... Chris and I were talking about one of our friends, Dwayne Story, who's a legendary folk singer in Chicago, and unfortunately a, a real serious sufferer of mental illness throughout his life. And, um, but Dwayne's still around. His probably best-known song that's not vulgar is a song called Windigo, uh, which has been covered by many, many people. Jim Post, a lot of other people have covered Windigo. So... Late at night, studying during my psychiatric rotation and reading the psychiatric textbook in my home, I was reading the chapter on unusual diagnoses and came across the diagnosis Windigo, an Indian form of psychosis, which I thought was the strangest thing I'd ever heard. And uh, so what goes around comes around. <laughs> so medicine, at least psychiat psychiatric medicine and, and songwriting is, is pretty close in hand. So was it, I mean, aside from wanting to be at your friend's show, was there also, I mean, uh, was it like an escape or kind of a, a way of maintaining your sanity while being in school? Or? Well, it was a little no. of that, but I mean, I was always serious as a writer. I, I'm, you know, I loved songs from a very, very early age. And, uh, and this, this is true, too. I mean, I, there's a big connection with me and... Um, WFMT's Midnight Special. I mean, not, not that Rich Warren plays a lot of my music, but we know each other has played my music and was the first place that played me on the radio, thanks to Chris Farrell. Um, and, uh, but what's interesting is that show, which has a very, very long history. In the 60s, my stepfather listened to that show religiously and would tape the New Year's Eve shows that went all night long um, with the folk singers on a real, real tape deck. And he would buy albums. Remember when there were albums? Yeah, he would buy those things in stores that, of records that he heard on the radio on that show that he really liked. Mostly he bought a lot of comedy. But one thing he bought was the, the, the original uh, cast recording of Jacques Brella's Alive and Well and Living in Paris. And I lived with him, started living with him when I was maybe 13 years old. And uh, I just played that record to death. And the, the, although those were translations uh, of Brel, or, or those those songs really impacted me enormously. And uh, I remember singing. There's a song called "Next" to the French title is "Au Suivant." It's about a man who loses his virginity in an army brothel and is becomes distraught and sexually frustrated uh, to the point of suicide, being suicidal uh, because of the experience. Um, I used to sing that song to, at the top of my lungs when I was like 14 years old. Like, there's a, the, 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 one of the lyrics of the, like, the second or third verse is like, I swear on the wet head of my first case of gonorrhea that hits this ugly voice that I forever hear. I had no idea what gonorrhea was. I knew now we covered it in, in school. But the, um, uh, and, but the song was just amazing. It blew me away. And uh, it was that kind of... His writing just cuts to the bone. And, that, and so I would never have... Got to know that record, not just because my my mom got remarried, but also because of FMT's Midnight Special and the songs that they played. 
even though at the time I didn't listen to the show. I didn't know about the show. I was in Philadelphia, too, at the time. There was no internet, so I couldn't have listened to the show. And then uh, later I got to be on it and you know, meet the hosts and the great rain, late range Nordstrand, who was a big supporter. You know. And so what goes around comes around. Well, let's, let's do another song, and then I'll talk with you a bit more. Sure. This is a song. This is a song. This, this song is, uh, well, let's just say, if you're going to write a, a love song to a woman, you should, you should do it before you get married, because you can get a lot farther with it. Built for wonder, so I wonder who in the hell chose me as the luckiest guy on earth. Now I agree, I agree that no one deserves this. But then again, when was the last time you got what you deserved? Elizabeth. Did your mama teach you to keep your love from dreamers? Dreamers all turn cruel. Protect yourself, protect your heart. They say that a life is best kept foolproof. Though Elizabeth, no one's as ingenious as a fool. Just past noon Me, I am just past thinking That when it gets this hot You could waste your time On each and every degree And so I try To keep real still I don't worry what God is up to You see the devil's thinking It don't seem so hot to me Elizabeth Now what did that gypsy tell you When you slipped her can to have a look At your future so far Did she smile Did she cock her head The way a moon rises on Saturn As if to say All you need to know is who you are When your luck hears me, 
Oh, there's no need to be ambitious when you're lucky enough to truly love the one who loves you, dear. Oh, Elizabeth, when did you become so foolish that you would give your love to me? All dreamers are fools, and although I can't hide, say, oh, just who will protect your children? Elizabeth, I know the wondrous gifts God gives to fools. Elizabeth, you are the wondrous gift God gave this fool. Let's go back to when you kind of started playing outside of Hyde Park and uh -huh. at some of the clubs uh, in Old Town and so mm -hmm. on. Where, where were the first places you were going? The first place I ever went to in Chicago was the Open Mic at Earl's Pub that at the time Chris Farrell was hosting. And then I also started going to the No, uh, no Exit Cafe up in Rogers Park. Where it was run by Brian and Sue Cozen. And I just started meeting a lot of the local folk singers. And it was interesting, it was kind of a time when the scene was sort of decaying. Um, I'm not saying the folk singers were decaying, but like the gigs and the, the, and the but there was, this, there was still this remnant of this hierarchy. They were based on how close your, your personal proximity was to uh, Stevie and John, <laughs> you know? It was, at least that was my perception. And, uh, but mental, it was most, the experiences were all just wonderful, you know? I mean, it's just very cool. And, you know, there's, there's no better person on earth than I know than Chris. And uh, good friends with Andrew Calhoun, who I met up at the No Exit Cafe. and just met more and more people. And then, and then I finally went down to Kerrville, uh, based on what I heard from people like Chris and about Buddy Monlock when he had gone down and won this competition. And, uh, and then Andrew Calhoun, who went down the year before I went down, came back literally walking about a foot above the ground. He had met his, who, someone who would, be, would become his, his wife, at least for a period of time. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and uh, he said, you have to go. And, and I went, and it just, that changed my life forever. Right? The friends that I've met there. This is when? This, this was... This, at this point, I was done with med school, uh -huh. and I was in my residency at Children's Memorial, and it was the end of my intern year. That was the first year I went. That was 1990, it was uh, around Memorial Day of 1991. It was the first time I went down to Kerrville, and I just met some of the closest friends that I still have to this day, people like Ezra Eidlett and Keith Grimwood of Trout Fishing in America, Emily Cates. That's where I met Buddy. That's kind of when I really got to know Andrew. Was when he started. We, hang, we that was the first time to really hang out. And Jack Hardy, Dave Massengill, just the list just goes on and on. Well, what was that like? Advancing in your professional career at the same time as you know you're starting to get recognition from people whom you admire. From and you're probably aware that you're growing as a songwriter and that you're getting you know you're you're feeling like you have the skills to. Do that, I imagine. 
Well, I, I try not to take that for granted at all. I mean, I'm not sure that I've ever felt totally secure. I, I thought I did something interesting. I know I did something different than people. I don't know that that's necessarily good. But, you know, I, uh, there's different ways that people get validation. And for me, what really turns my crank is to play music for other artists and songwriters who I admire enormously, who go, that's great. Um, and just, and I have had that experience no, numerous times. And that's very validating. And those were the experiences that really, you know, for example, the guys I'm playing with in my first band, uh, the first time I went to Kerrville, you know, I remember playing the song circles, you know, and I did a couple songs, and then it, that one was run by uh, Keith Grimwood of, of Trout Fishing, and he goes, who are you? And, and it's like, do you have a tape? Because that was the, the, uh, the unit of exchange between songwriters back then as your cassette tape. And uh, I said, no, I, I don't have anything like that. Um, and so I went back that summer and recorded a tape, cassette album, with not knowing anything about what we were doing. Um, uh, but it was very long, I can tell you that. And, uh, and, and out of that session basically came the band. They became the dysfunctionals. Uh, uh, Russell and Vince and uh, my friend Vernon Tanger, who now lives in Detroit, my br brother Vernon Tanger, and Oliver Steck, the beautiful Oliver Steck, who now lives in Austin, plays with Bob Snyder's band, and uh, play, just played at the Americana Fest over at uh, Fitzgerald's. Uh, and so, I mean, th that came out of that, and then that whole experience kind of grew and we got to do some pretty cool stuff eventually with that uh, including playing New York and meeting other heroes well so while you're doing that are you thinking I'm just gonna I'm gonna be able to do both I could be both a musician and uh, work in the medical field up to the point where I actually had to take a real job <laughs> in medicine because I was an I was an MD PhD and I was kind of supposed to be an academic and so at one point, and literally, it was, it, was, it was literally, the decision was made primarily because of the musical experiences. We were doing, we had just had our first, our fourth tour to New York, and had just played the show at the bottom line as the band, the opening act in the band behind Peter Stanfield and Steve Weber, the Holy Metal Rounders, who are our heroes, and people we met and had played with since 92, I think, or no, not, more like 93 or 94, that, the reunion was 96, and I came back, and I was just finishing up work, and I was just spending all of this time trying to basically herd cats, which was the experience. As the, I was also I had the good fortune of being the manager of the dysfunctionals, which was an experience that I think everyone should go through once and get you out of some years of purgatory. The, um, and I was just spending all this time, and it's like, what am I doing? You know, I, may, I have to make a choice what I'm going to do with my, my career, and uh, and and the more the more the bigger the more exciting gigs we get the less money we were getting, which was it was just amazing, and I, I just said you know this is crazy, and so at that point I just said okay I'm gonna look, when I get my job and then I'm gonna just do that and that's what I did we I ended up moving to L A, at the end of 1998 and was in, became an associate professor at UCLA, and was there for like eight years until things changed there I didn't really do any music other than like play in the church praise band. I think I wrote one song. I also had an experience because of the Cargill Giant guys. I played 
I actually, <laughs> I played Town Hall in New York. Uh, the uh, through the guy the card of giant people went on to do some pretty amazing things. Some of them went into the neo futurists, which is a show in Chicago. Some of them were in Second City. Uh, two of them went to New York and uh, wrote a musical called Urine Town the Musical, which ended up winning three Tonys. And um, but the show was supposed to open on 9/11. Uh, the week of 9-11, and they ended up postponing it because of that. And in November, after the show opened, and it was successful, um, the New York Times solicited them and a number of other quite well-known artists like Lou Reed to write songs, which were published in the New York Times Magazine. And they wrote a song called The Ballad of Mary O'Connor. And then at the anniversary of 9-11, there was an event in New York called Brave New World, um, which was American theater's response to 9-11. And there were a lot of events around New York, but the big ones were at Town Hall, and it was, ma- it was basically small plays written by major American playwrights like John Patrick Stanley and big playwrights and A-list actors. So the people that were performing were John Turturro and Bud Court and, Al- and Alec Baldwin and Holly Hunter and John Turturro and uh, they were asked to have, their, uh, to have their song performed. And so they called me up and said, you want to come and play at Town Hall? And so I got to play on the show with all of these people. So this was a big... But that was like the only gig I had in all the time I was in L.A. is flying to New York and playing Town Hall. Uh, and, uh, and, and then things kind of fell apart at my job in L.A. and I moved to Albuquerque and I started playing again. The family had, hadn't come out with me initially because of the transition, so I had a little more time on my hands and uh, started playing open mics again and writing songs again. And then it's just sort of billed out from that, you know, and then kept going when I moved to Chicago, back to Chicago in 2010. Well, we'll get back to that. Let's do another song first. Okay, this is a song. This is a song. So this, this the, the, the honest to God story about this song was I was uh, this is in medical school and I just started writing songs and I was coming home from a medical conference in Boston late at night and I was getting on a train uh, the Blue Line to take go home to my I lived in Hyde Park at the time and. Uh, I was coming back from the conference really late at night, and so I got onto the subway at O'Hare, and there were, there were only three people in the car that I was in. One there was this African-American lady with a couple shopping bags who clearly was, had just gotten off work at the airport, and the other person was Tom Waits. And he, <laughs> he was living in Chicago on Irving Park Road um, doing Frank's Wild Years at Steppenwolf. And I had other friends that had seen him around town, usually shopping for pornography and, and, and things like that. That was when you had to buy it. Um, and once he, fi- I, I sat down next to him and um, wanted to talk to him because he was a hero and I had just started writing songs and, and 
you know, I was asking him a couple questions. He goes, what is this, an interview? And they said, no, I'm a songwriter. I just started writing songs, and I'm really interested. And once he realized I didn't want anything from him, but that I was just annoying, he was happy to talk to me. And he said a couple of really smart things. He said, among, we talked about what we were listening to. And it was, that was right after Rain Dogs came out, which was an amazing record. And, uh, you know, he said, one thing he said was, everything you give to music, music will give back. Which I had no idea if it was true at the time, but it's absolutely true. The other thing he said is you should, you should write about what you know. Which is such good advice that I've never taken it. So this song is about my time as a trapeze artist. <laughs> Tonight. Tonight I will dangle from this pipe. Inspect the cables one more time. It's my life. Circus is in town. Scare your parents, run away. It's your life. Let go. Tuck your head between your knees. Throw your weight. Over tip and grab a pair of ankles on the next trapeze, and I am life in my short-lived man-made flight. Over the crowned heads of Europe and the gaping mouths of children. And if I fail and I fall twisted to the earth, give my regards to Orville and Wilbur Wright. Boy sleeps on my trailer floor. A townie from two towns ago. His name is Wild. He's up at daybreak. He mends the costumes before I wake. Stands on one foot as he shaves my face. And he talks tight ropes, the balance of the day. When I was young, when I was young, I walked the wire. I worked with an umbrella and no net. And I was a fool. There's no telling him this I know, I know that there's no stopping wild The bound and 
undetermined future Aquila Brist. I could tell this kid, you better know your tools. Damn world and there's no trick to living life to find death. The trick comes in earning a living, getting the crowd to hold its breath. Cause they all hope you fail as you pretend to risk your life. P.T. Barnum, meet the brothers right. Curious, because well, you mentioned your your mother did a lot of uh, you know religious music, and then you mentioned being in a praise band right. for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I could see some optimism in your work, but kind of with gritted teeth a little bit more than praise. Yeah, I think and that that's fair. I think I'm mean, you know I'm a scientist too, right? So it's again to be skeptical of things, and I think people are not skeptical enough. I mean, the question of whether you can have faith. And be skeptical. Can you make? Is is that a oxymoron? Is that a um, uh, one of those? Um, we're trying to maintain cognitive dissonance. Is that too much cognitive dissonance to maintain both those things in your mind? But my mind's really screwy, so it's easy for me. <laughs> um, and so, so. I mean, if the question is, do I have faith? Yeah, I do have faith in some larger being. And I think that or even organized religion can be helpful. It's community, because community is what is necessary to be a human being. Um, uh, all art comes out of community. All art. Uh, you can't name an artist that has done it completely independent. Even someone like Emily Dickinson had an audience of one um, during her lifetime. So, And it's all about art and it's about uh, often really creative moments and times come when there's critical masses of artists who just sort of find themselves at time at the same place at the same time uh, examples of popular music are obviously like are, are, are huge numbers you know why did Chuck Berry end up in Kansas City why did or was it St. Louis uh, uh, with J Johnny Johnson on the piano why did I mean the Beatles in Liverpool you know, why are they, they're all from the same town, you know. 
um, and, and on and on and on. The Greenwich Village folk scene and the nuclear bomb that happened in the early 60s, late 50s and early 60s with the Harry Smith Anthology of American Folk Music, uh, which was that time was so exciting and Drew Dillon, you know, this kid from Minnesota. So, I mean, the, those kind of things happen for a reason. I think they're very important. And so I think communities are good, and I think there are good communities that are religious. There are really bad communities that are religious. Uh, there, you know, there's other bad communities of people who are not religious, but uh, you know, go along carrying torches at, at rallies, even in the 2017 and 18. So there are bad communities too. <laughs> you know. um. When, when you talk about an audience, you know, Dickinson having an audience of one, I think, I think what I'm hearing from you is you, you, you particularly enjoy a, say, an educated listener or another musician liking your work. Who, do you, who's your audience? When you write a song, do you have an audience in, in your mind? No, I don't really have an audience in my mind usually. There are exceptions. Usually when I'm writing a song <laughs> directed at a person, uh, uh, where I'm trying to poke at a person. Uh, and often, uh, someone I know closely who I... Uh, and then write a song so they don't know it's about them and then perform it in front of them. I, I've done that many, many times. Um, Do you usually get away with it? I have. It's amazing. Have um, you been caught? Yes. I have also been caught. I have also been caught. There's a lot of examples of that in the literature, too. I can't remember the title of the song, but it's a Mamas and the Papa song that was basically written by one of the members basically because of an affair one of them was having with another one of them. Uh, the best-known example I know, sure, is the Ramones. Uh, uh, if you don't know the Ramones, um, you should. If you, and, but uh, Joey Ramone was the lead singer and left-wing Jewish liberal from New York, classic, uh, with OCD, and then there was Johnny, who was an Eisenhower-Nixon man from early on, and they were oil and water, but they made this great music, again, another community, but Joey had this girlfriend, and Johnny stole her uh, to, to, um, to take Johnny's side a little bit. They ended up getting married, and they were married till Johnny died, and two, Johnny's a ha Joey's a handful, but jo Joey wrote a song about it, uh, called The KKK Took My Baby Away. Um, <laughs> see, now the, the sound man now knows what that song's about. It all comes together. And jo Johnny didn't know right away. He eventually knew, but it was such a great song that they, it was always in their act, you know? <laughs> so these things happen for a reason. Things happen for a reason. We're just not entitled to know what the reason ever is, I think. You know, it may not be a good reason. It may not be, <laughs> I hope, but if you're lucky, some of the time it's a good for a good reason. And um, so, you generally are, write, are you writing for yourself then? If you're not imagining an audience, yeah, I'm. I'm writing. Yeah, I'm writing for myself. I'm writing to. I there's something. It's like build. You know, people build things. Songs are things you build. And so I like building things. Again, it's an avocation, and and it, it means a great deal to me. And and uh, I've I've gotten validation that that, you know, that I must be onto something, and so that's encouraging. And uh, and some of it's been pretty amazing validation lately. 
And so yeah, that's why I build songs. So that we're, the next song we're going to do, in fact, is a brand new song that was started at Kerrville, one of these uh, songwriter prompts at the songwriter school. Uh, you know, they have like, write a song about this. And, uh, and this was, this is about crossroads. And I'm kind of at a crossroads at some level uh, with making the second record and, and, and having famous people say nice things about me in public. And, uh, you know, my kids are finishing college and so then I don't have to pay to support them anymore. It's ideal. It's really a very good thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I just gave, yeah, I know, I know. But not necessarily 40 grand a year um, in cash. Uh, so, um, and so, you know, so things are changing, you know? And so it, was, it seemed like a good song to write. So that, that's where this next song came from, is, is writing about Crossroads. Oh, let's go. Let's do it. So let's call me and Mr. Johnson. The idea behind it was, uh, you know, you probably know the story about Robert Johnson, how he supposedly sold his soul to the devil. He uh, met the devil at midnight on Crossroads in Mississippi. Uh, and gave and the, he gave the devil the guitar, and the devil tuned the guitar and gave it back to him. And from that point, he could play amazing blues and so you know the first thought of writing a song would be like well I'll, I'll, I'll meet the devil and then I thought no that wasn't a good idea that would be too obvious so I wrote this
appeals to the bar, Cook County Jail. Sweet home Mississippi's where you'll be found. And I don't remember all the words, and I can't read them because the light is too dark in here. Johnson at the crossroads. Me and Mr. Johnson standing at the crossroads. A sixty percent success with that one. We know all of the other ones, honestly. That, that song's. this is the first time I've ever played this in front of people. Hopefully it'll go better the next time. Uh, but we did record it uh, for the album. That's awesome. We'll get to your current crossroads, but I do want to talk a little bit about what it was like getting back into playing music in Albuquerque and so on, and how did that feel after not having played for so long? Well, there are a lot of questions that are kind of obvious that would come to you. It was just like, am I ever going to be able to write a song again? You know, could I do that again? Um, and also, I was still trying to make it academically, so why am I doing this when I should be doing something else? You know? And, uh, but I just like playing music, and uh, also, my family wasn't with me, so I was on my own, and so hanging out at uh, coffee houses and meeting other people who were into music and could turn me on to new songwriters because they were all 20-something. It, it was, again, I was playing open mics in Albuquerque, and the great thing about open mics is the people. Uh, you meet some fabulous people, and any really good open mic has basically three kinds of people. There's people like me, old farts, who, uh, you know, have been doing it for a while and, and like to play and haven't given up the dream. <laughs> and, and then there's the young people, 20-somethings or 30s, who are just doing it, just starting out and are really fresh. And some of those people are just amazing to watch develop, you know, their performance skill. And the other group, which you have to have, is um, mentally ill people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and are any really good open mic has just the right balance of all three of these groups. And, uh, and, and so there was definitely that in Albuquerque. The, the, we played at the place called the Blue Dragon, for the most part, which is a vegan restaurant, vegan slash vegetarian restaurant mostly uh, in Albuquerque, uh, ran, run by a guy named Norm. Norman had the reputation of being able to sing underwater. And uh, that was one of his real skill sets. He, he also liked uh, to try to do Tuvian throat singing. <laughs> and like you do your set, and then if he dug your song, he would join you during your, during your song with Tuvian throat singing accompaniment to your song. I like Norm a lot. That place eventually folded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I met a lot of really cool people, a lot of really cool young people, some amazing songwriters, you know, and it got me back doing it again. And uh, it was, you know, that's what it's about. It's sort of being in the swim of it. It was also good because I was by myself, so, uh, you know, I kind of would get these crushes on these young women, 
And fortunately, nothing ever because they have no interest in somebody who's old like me. But but was inter- was they're great for muses. They're just <laughs> absolutely fantastic as as your muse for songs, uh, especially unrequited love songs. You know, um, and uh, so it's good against good songwriting material. <laughs> and then this, they, you know, they often would be very flattered. Not that it mattered to them, but they would, you know, if the song was good, they, they'd still dig it. You know, mostly. <laughs> Well, how did it? Um, were you intimidated by the fact that there were you were you know rather than before when you were of the younger kind of group to be coming into you know uh, with younger people or did, no, did it not I, I matter? I always dig younger people. I right. still really dig younger people. Uh, part of it, I guess, has to do with being a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was that was my real interest in being in academic medicine was to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I taught all, since I was a kid. You know, in high school I taught, and taught all through college, in different subjects, and just was that was something I really enjoyed doing. So I guess I'm a little pedantic, in times. Uh, maybe that spills over sometime in the lyrics, but um, the uh, but I, mean, I just like meeting young people, and I like I like learning, and so they would know you know music that I'd never heard before, both new and old. Uh, and this is when, you know, the internet was kind of just these these kids would be hearing stuff that I never heard when I was there that I knew but hadn't heard at their age because they're just they just devour music, and uh, it's amazing stuff. You know, uh, some people you may have heard of like Kimya Dawson or um, Jeffrey Lewis were part of the anti folk scene in New York, and uh, Regina Spector and. M. Ward, you know, uh, Bell and Sebastian. It's just music that was just uh, Joanna Newsom. Mm-hmm. Just stuff that just blows your mind to listen to. And, and so I want to write like that. You know, part of being, a, I mean, for what it's worth, part of being a songwriter is having great models. You know, if you, if you have really terrible models, you're probably not going to write very good songs. You know, I mean, do you write with a, a model in mind, or does it just happen? You go, all right, this one's gonna be like. It kind of uh, spills or, out. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff that's obvious that that's related to that, yeah. you know. But I, I have, I, th- I think it's fair to say that I have my own voice. But mm-hmm. there's stuff that touches on things like that. There's a song I'm not gonna do tonight because uh, there's no piano here, uh, called uh, "The Gospel According to Carl," which uh, that thing has a Randy, which is on the the first record. Uh, which uh, is very much a Randy Newman kind of a f- mm-hmm, vibe. Mm-hmm, There's yeah. another song that's got a very much of Van Morrison vibe on that record. Uh, this is this is stuff said by critics, you know, about it, and which are huge compliments to me. And people have, you know, often when you listen to music, you say that sounds like X. You know, that's not a, that's a very common thing. And people will come up, you know, that song reminds you, you that song reminds me of, you know. Loudon Wainwright the third, and these are all, or Paul Simon, or and people are huge, mm. it's hugely complimentary, you know, because these people are heroes mm-hmm. to me. So, um, so yeah, there's there's relationship to that, and I, sometimes I understand it, sometimes I don't. You know? <laughs> how how did you? Well, actually, before we talk about you coming back to Chicago, what what about that scene? Maybe was different than what a person would find in Chicago at open mic scene. It wasn't very different. It was just a different set of people in a different time, a different community. Mm-hmm. The same people are interested in uh, the people that go to open mics. <laughs> it's it's definitely an acquired taste, going to open mics. Um, 
And so, but if you're into it, you find if it's a good open mic, um, magic happens more often than not. You'll hear things you've never just will blow your mind. You'll meet people that will be your friends for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so to me, it's extremely meaningful. You know, and uh, it was just a different scene. But again, there's a lot of young people. I hang around a lot now at the Gallery Cabaret, which is what the first song was about in Bucktown. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just a regular there. You know, they all know me. They're happy with me being there. I don't, you know, and uh, I just meet great people. There's a, new, a young songwriter named Ross Berman IV who you might not have heard about. He's, he's our new Bob Dylan. He's just amazing, amazing songwriter. And he hosts the open mic now, and he—he's—he's—he's he's, probably—I think he's 27. He looks, and Ross wouldn't mind me saying this. He looks like he's 14, <laughs> um, but he's just an amazing songwriter and does funky stuff. He makes his living as a professional wrestling journalist, um, you know, and and, uh, and he also—I mean, it's just—he's a playwright. I mean, it's just there's just very cool people. And the best kind of music is live music. You should come out and support live music like this, you know. Uh, you're not going to hear things like this other ways, and, and artists need support. Do you, do you ever bring any of your uh, professional colleagues uh, out to open mics? Whenever I can. And? Whenever I can, whenever they want to. The, uh, what's funny, I did with my, my friend Peter Stamfel of the Holy Mole Rounders. He was going to play the Sidewalk Cafe in New York, I, and I usually see him when I'm there. Often I stay at his house. And uh, we, um, he was, pl- was going to play the open mic at the Sidewalk Cafe because he had a show the following week and was promoting it because they encourage you to do that. And uh, so we went along, you know, and so he and I played again. <laughs> I didn't have a guitar, so he loaned me his guitar. He said, oh, Rich, you can, you can use my guitar. And I go, fine. And I, and I get on stage and I'm holding the guitar and the sound guy goes, that looks like a really old Martin. And I go, yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Peter, how old is this guitar? He said, oh, it's from 1926. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like terrified holding this guitar, you know. And uh, but they're wonderful. I mean, it's just it, it's it, you know. And if you like to hang out in bars, I love to hang out in bars. Uh, I like doing it much more than I should, and and I don't do it as often as I want to. And so it's great, you know. Let's do another tune. There you go. There we go. This is about the muse. Not uh, a specific muse, but about, it's, about, it's about creating art. Where do those ideas come from? Where does, how, how does that happen? How does the muse approach you? The original title of this song, which I got rid of because it kind of sounded really uh, puffy, uh, title was Terpsichore, but I prefer the title we're using now, which is called Waltz. <coughs> she throws back her head and she laughs. Her hair is as wild as an arsonist's dream. I wake and brush off the cinder, she turns to whispers. Ain't life a scream? And I reach for the floor And I struggle with my shirt over the last cigarette Oh, she never wastes time I find 
mind it's already burning And I probably should have known what that meant She shrouds herself in a damp sheet She stands in the moonlight Her eyes start to gleam She says let's run up the iron escape She throws open the window I follow the steam Ceiling littered with stars. All oh, this may not be freedom, but at this point in our century, pal, I'm not sure freedom's gotten us that far. And then she starts in on the walls, the kind you don't hear anymore. You grab your best girl. You lead her out of the door, out onto the veranda. Your head swims with fever, there's a pain in your chest. And the bright paper lanterns around you, light softly her breasts. Then she pulls a bottle of wine from a smokestack, where rain is conjured out of thin air. Jesus, three days before Easter, she slices a pear, and then she unwinds her gown. Dozens upon dozens of roses appears it from nowhere. And I'm thinking out loud when Christ looked back on the garden. Did he wonder, should I have taken the dare? City it spins around in the walls. The kind you don't feel anymore. Your face is painted blue. You're hardly breathing at all. And the last thing that you remember. Before it all goes gray, are the bastards who kissed and betrayed you. Lovers who miss you. One or two times you've got laid. It's a question of vision, and when she lets 
led you back to Chicago? Work. Work. All right. So I had, uh, I had a great job in LA. Great people to work for. It was really exciting, you know. And uh, I like LA. And uh, but the job changed. And so I needed to go somewhere else to set up my lab because I was doing a lot of independent neuroscience research. And the best job seemed to be at the University of New Mexico. And the people there without telling a lot of tales out of school, are freaking crazy. <laughs> They're out of their bleeding minds. Uh, and the, the reputation, I mean, they just eat, eat their faculty for lunch. And my particular division of my department was known in the university, which was bad, as the worst one in the university. And so, you know, I thought I'd get along and it was not good. I give you an illustration of the kind of conversations I would have with my boss about, it's like, you know, people think you're always right, Rich. What's, you know, and I go, no, it's like, well, I just kind of think outside the box, you know. Uh, a lot of my, my heroes think outside the box. And she goes, yeah? Like who? And I go, I don't know, Galileo. And she goes, Galileo, but he was right, so you think you're right. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, you know, or other things I say, like, you know, I, we could talk, and it seems like I, I could say that wall is white, and you'd say, no, it's black. And he goes, but that wall is white. Okay, I'll say this wall could be black, and you'd say it's white, but it is white. And I go, it was, it was, um, it was not a good place for me. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then uh, that went downhill, and I was supposed to go continue academics at the University of Connecticut, but that was 2008, and the economy collapsed, and the job disappeared, and uh, did a lot of other stuff for money, for a living, and uh, then came back to Chicago. And uh, I'm very happy that I'm back here. It's, uh, it's cool. Uh, it's home, you know? Mm -hmm. And you've been, you know, I, re I remember, I don't know, probably about seven, Eight years ago, you used to always have stacks of CDs, like home-recorded yeah, CDs, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were always awesome, and there was, I think the dysfunctionals were probably on a few of them. Sure, yeah. But now you've made, it, made your album. I mean, yeah, talk a little like bit a about, after having been a musician for so long, finally, you know, getting an album. Yeah, I, I, I felt, I kind of felt I owed it to the songs to make a real record. 
not just like demo recordings or uh but like a real record with arrangements and musicians and uh real musicians and um and we made this uh, i've been wanting to do it for a long long time and then a kindling event happened somebody wanted a recording of a specific song for actually the, the gospel according to carl for a play in chicago and so that got me in the studio, and then it just one, we just kind of kept recording. We didn't really have a plan. Kind of just kept collecting a basket of deplorables. <laughs> and then finally had too many songs for one record, and then we put one record out and then started working on the next record. And uh, then the first record, lo and behold, got rave reviews and international airplay. With, you know, and so who'd have thought? And so now... Uh, now they'll ignore the second record, I guess. It'll come out in August. So, it, but it's cool. And so there's a lot of cool people playing on the new record, especially we, Robbie Folks is on a couple of songs. He's a local legend, and uh, and this song has my friend Gary Lucas, who people may not know who he is. Gary, uh, it, it's kind of his tag is you know given to him by the New York Times is the Einstein of the guitar. He. Uh, uh, he was in the last iteration of, of Captain Beefheart's Magic Band for the last couple of records they made. And he was, his band was called God and Monsters. Uh, and the original lead singer was Jeff Buckley. And he was the, the guy who played on Jeff Buckley's solo album, Grace, and was on Joan Arsbone's first record. And uh, I said, Gary, do you want to play on this? And he said, yeah. And he dug the song. And so we're gonna do it for you now. This is another one of these. This is one of these songs about, uh, uh, you know, unrequited love, and Wittgenstein, and World War One. Called the 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 name of the the woman. Is name her name is, she goes by as Eva Av, which is a palindrome, and uh, and the song is called. A toujours forever, which means uh, forever and ever, forever. Let's take a second and tune. This, these songs are always better in tune, honestly. Uh, so I should have a tuning joke, right? So I'll, because this is going to eventually go on the radio, I'll, I'll, I, won't, I won't tell it the way I normally do, which is vulgar. But uh, it's basically there's two guys at a bar. If you know this, don't, don't shout out the, the punchline. But there's two guys at a bar, and it's an older guy and a younger guy. And... Uh, the older guy, after the first drink, whispers in the younger guy's ear, I slept with your mother. And the younger guy ignores him. And they drink more, and then more emphatically, after a couple more drinks, the older guy goes, I slept with your mother. And finally, after a couple more drinks, he stands on the bar and shouts, I slept with your mother. And the young guy goes, shut up, Dad. I learned that joke because an anthropologist, 
this is not the joke. This is, an anthropologist did a, a study of what is the funniest joke in the world. And the idea was to put out jokes among all cultures and see which got the biggest response. That was the second one. That was the second winning joke. The first winning joke was actually written, as it turned out, by Spike Milligan of the Goons. Um, and it basically was a, it's a, uh, there's a 911 operator, emergency operator, and this the, fall, the call comes in and it's a very distraught man going, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, I think, I think uh, my friend is, is, is dead. I accidentally shot him. And she goes, don't worry, let me, I'm, that's okay. Okay, sir, I'm gonna here to help you. Are you sure he's dead? And the phone goes dead and then they hear two shots and he comes back to the phone and goes, yes, I'm sure. I have lost my home So 
I wish I could keep everybody here all night, but we are, we're winding down. Um, could you maybe tell us just a little bit, 
for especially for the podcast where people could find your music and then uh, and then sure. we could close out with two songs. The uh, the best way to find about me is my website, which is www.richkruger.com. It's got links to where you can buy the music, at iTunes or Amazon or um, CD Baby, and information about the new record coming out in, in August and uh, some of the stations that play the music. And so that would be the place, www.richkruger, that's R-I-C-H-K-R-U-E-G-E-R.com. And, uh, or you can look for me on Facebook or Twitter or those kinds of things. All right, well, thanks so much for coming. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I know you've got two more songs on the list. We could do that and round it out. That sounds great. All right. So what we'll do, this is a horrible little song about beating up your wife. This was written. Uh, this is an, it's also a HIPAA violation. Let's just share that. But it was pre-HIPAA, so I don't know what the rules are for that. And I wasn't technically a doctor then either. I was just a medical student, so that doesn't really count. But I would say that I left all of the stuff that's empathetic to the gentleman in the song. I thought it would work better. We've just recorded this. Robbie Folks is singing along on this one, and uh, it's with a full mariachi band. It was also a song, the original purpose of writing the song, in addition to the story that came to me in the ER one night, is uh, this was a song for a show in Chicago that ran in the, in the 90s called Love Me. With uh, that the Cardiff Giant put on, uh, and uh, so the song is called "Por Qué No Me Ames" or "Love Me." Noah went off the pier last night. Swam out a great distance when it started to rain. Came to regret filling his pockets with stones. Thought about home where his wife had just packed up the kids and made a bus for the train. He cried across open water, I need a drink or a personal savior. Help me think over a flood like this. To break me of all this maladaptive behavior. Christ, I need a big favor. Jesus, you ain't the last guy been betrayed by a kiss. Why don't you, why don't you love me? Show me forgiveness, do not tear me apart. I, I obey, I swear I'll do everything right after tonight. If I'd known you'd do this, I would never have hit you that hard. leg is having some kind of emotional problem. He lived broken and frozen out of the lake. And was it that she could walk the way some men write poetry deliberately? Or maybe just maybe it was how she swung open her gate. Well, like an answered rhetorical question, he lumbered uselessly into the city. 
coffee shop window, he'd straighten his tie. When through his reflection, he swore he saw her there, sitting thinking at the counter drinking. Better coffee a millionaire's money can't buy. making a scene I've become desperate from dreaming but she couldn't hear him a train whistle came between them that day Cigarettes are useless, they're thoroughly soaked. If it keeps on raining, I'll have to cut me a sail. And after last night, with the cell block got flooded, they handcuffed us. Two dog to do anything that didn't move. Some I don't think she's gonna show up to help me make bail. Forgiveness, do not tear me apart Hey, baby, baby, I swear I'll do everything right After tonight, if I'd known you'd do this I would never have hit you that hard Oh, I, if I'd known you'd do this I would never have hit you that hard Por que no, por que no, por que no me ames This is a. This is the only song we. This is the only song we're doing tonight. That's from the first record. It's the first track on the record. This was. We're gonna go full circle here. This song was written at the bar at the gallery. Another one of these unrequited love songs. Unrequited love songs are the best. Because they're uh, unrequited love is the best. Because it's cheaper. They don't pass me by when a perfect stranger doesn't tell me That I remind them of someone they once loved or knew that died I smile back at them as if to say, well, thank you Cause it's good having been seen for having tried Like you, I'm here to raise a glass to all my lonely foolish dreams Cup spills over sometimes, the trouble starts to swell. No right mind, no one wants to break down a stranger. So that's why God made bars and girl bar singers in one night cheap motels. Friend, you look like you're drunk enough, you might understand me. 
out among you. <laughs> Russell Clark on the bass. Vince Edmonds on the cajon. I'm Rich Kruger. Thanks so much. Thank you to the sound man. Thank you to Dan Kugler for inviting us. Thank you to the Grafton. Thanks for being our audience tonight. We're very, very grateful. This would be really weird to... No one would laugh if there was no one here. Oh, don't worry. I would have laughed a whole bunch. <laughs> 